Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fuglesang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. We are Channel 127. I'm John Fuglesang. This is Tell Me Everything. The little show that could bring in good trouble to the right-wing bubble five nights a week right here on Channel 127. And we'd love to hear from you guys. Our number is 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. Hello to everyone listening live, our evil army of the night. We want to hear from you, especially if you're someone who likes to listen but never gets around the calling. I know it's fun to be shy. Not tonight. We want to hear from you. Also, hello to the daywalkers, everyone out there who doesn't stay up at night but listens to us uh, on the John Fuglesang podcast, SiriusXM On Demand, the SiriusXM app. Uh, you guys are always welcome to call in if you're hanging around doing nothing some night. I know a lot of you are shiftless and, you know, spend your evenings loitering around check cashing places like Chris Houseelt, our producer. I'm saying once in a while. You guys can call at 866-997-4748 and rant about the democracy we were promised, rant about the democracy we've got, and rant about the democracy we're trying to save while dreaming of the democracy we could be. Chris Hauselt is our executive producer. He is running this thing from the South Carolina Bureau. Chris, how's the weather where you're at? What's it like? Ian is beginning to buffet the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. Are you staying dry? And is your family letting you ride out the storm in the house? Um, I was allowed to come into the house. Um, it's great. From my pit, my sand pit in the back. I'm sure you earned laws. it. I'm sure you earned it. Yeah, we're not allowed to have. You're not allowed to have pets chained up out here. Mm. It's starting to rain. It's been windy all day. It's been like thirty, you know, forty mile an hour winds all day, and then it's just going to get picked Oof. up over the night. And tomorrow. Uh, it's going to land. It, it actually might make landfall somewhere very, very close to where I'm at. So, yeah, and this storm apparently has a vendetta against my family because my brother and nephew were in are in Cape Coral, Florida, uh, which uh. is where which is right smack where Ian hit uh, yesterday. So wow. I don't know what we did to this hurricane. Maybe I accidentally killed its mother in a forest fire or something. I don't know. Hmm. Did you do something to this hurricane, Chris? Did you did you try to nuke this hurricane, or did you did you misshape it with a sharpie you know on a, a government weather map? You know, aren't there? I tried to nuke it. I said, Vlad, I'm gonna need a couple nukes. Got them pretty good. Got a friend named Ian, and he's been naughty. He's gonna hurt my great people of Florida, and I'm gonna take <laughs> care of his ass. Chris, who is helping us tonight? Who is running the boards? Who is the grown-up in the room while we try to uh, do what we do here? Well, I'm running the boards, but it's Claudia on the phones. Claudia. 
Claudia is running the phone. Okay, so everyone, when you call tonight, you got you, you get to talk to Claudia. Now, again, Claudia is having a tough time because she has to work with me. She has to work with Chris. I, I thought Megan's law would prevent these kind of things, but she's stuck with us. So please, please, when you call, nothing but the utmost respect and courtesy and, and show her why uh, we are the best deviants in all of radio. There's a lot to get to. Let's do a show. Hurricane Ian, Monday morning. It had speeds of 75 miles an hour. By yesterday, those speeds had doubled. The hurricane forecaster's worst nightmare seems to have come true. It was a Category 3, and then it jumped almost to a Category 5. There's conflicting reports that 17 people are confirmed dead or 10 people are confirmed dead. More than 500 people have already been rescued from Florida's Lee and Charlotte counties as of earlier today. Joe Biden said this could be the deadliest hurricane in Florida's history. Uh, He said we're hearing reports of what may be substantial loss of life. It used to be rare. You know, when we were kids, storms very rarely would keep on strengthening until they got to land. Uh, Now that doesn't happen. And and studies show this is another sign of climate change, Uh, whether people on the right don't want to hear it or not. The leap in intensity was made possible by the fact that the ocean's getting warmer and there's more moisture in the atmosphere. And these are both things that climate change enhances. Now, you don't have to believe it, but why wouldn't you be open to it? Why wouldn't you be open to believing the entire scientific consensus? Oh, I know why. Because you're a conservative person who uh, doesn't trust science. You trust politicians and media people. They think this storm brought more than 17 inches of rain over West Central Florida. The Naples Pier, which is very beautiful, has apparently been destroyed under waves that were at least 20 feet high. There's only one bridge linking Sanibel to the mainland. My in-laws used to have a place in Sanibel. It's gorgeous. That The bridge has been washed away. Like, you can only get to Sanibel by boat at this point. Lee County, home to Fort Myers and Cape Coral, and Charlotte County to the north are basically off the grid, the two counties that have been hit the hardest. Previously, tropical storms tended to get weaker as they get closer to the north of the Gulf Coast because the water's cooler, right? Or stronger jet stream winds. But but that hasn't happened the last couple of years. Hurricane Laura and Ida in 2020, uh, Hurricane Michael in 2021, and uh, no, that was eight, 2018. I mean, these are all signs of human-caused climate change. Warm tropical waters. Those are what fuel hurricanes. Air temperatures are increasing, and when air gets warmer, the air can hold more water vapor, which makes hurricanes wetter than they used to be. So now Tropical Storm Ian isn't dying down. It's re-intensifying over the Atlantic Ocean, heading to the Carolinas to mess with Chris and his family. It'll be a Category 1 hurricane when it makes landfall in South Carolina tomorrow afternoon. And uh, the whole region from northern Florida to Georgia to Edisto Beach, South Carolina, they think they're going to see four to six feet of surge. Please, folks, please, please. I, I, I know you don't want to hear me say, listen to Ron DeSantis, you know, listen to Brian Kemp. But if your governors are warning you to get away or take shelter, please don't be like Larry Trump and send your kids out to play in it. We already know there's not enough therapy for those children. Charleston area is anticipating a storm surge of between four to seven feet above normally dry ground. It's scary. It's rough out there. And if you have uh, been in the storm, if you've survived it, if you've borne witness to what's happened, uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you're there helping, if you're there trying to get help, we'd love to hear from you. I wasn't planning on talking about student loans tonight. 
wasn't going to do it. There's so much going on in the news. It's, it's crazy. My God, have you seen what Judge Cannon's doing? We'll, we'll get to that. But you guys know, last month, President Joe Biden announced that this administration was going to cancel 10 grand of student loan debt for every federal borrower and and an additional 10 grand for anyone who got a federal Pell Grant. Now, obviously, this does not go far enough, but it does have the potential to completely wipe away all student debt for roughly 20 million Americans of many different ages. It will allow those people to stop shoveling money to a bank for a degree they got a long time ago, because as we always say, crippling student loan debt is what keeps millions of people from enjoying crippling home mortgage debt. You know, black and Latino Americans, black women especially, really bear the brunt of this burden. I mean, we're talking people who've been stripped of generational wealth, that's not a concept, and who are forced to get higher educational status just to compete with Caucasians in the workplace. Today, 90% of black students have to borrow federal dollars to go to college. So Joe Biden did this, and uh, I, I didn't think it would be that controversial. But a lot of good Christian Republicans, you will recall, were very angry. Mitt Romney, who is a devout Mormon, uh, he, he called the student debt relief a bribe. He said, should we next forgive auto loans, forgive credit card debt, forgive mortgages? What could possibly go wrong? I was like, wow, good idea, Mitt. <laughs> it's not a bribe. It's, it's called voting for people who, who, who fulfill their promises and who give you something back and who do things that are good for the economy. Child rape lookout helper Jim Jordan, he said, student loan forgiveness will benefit wealthy elites. Once again, Joe Biden forgets about real America. I realize it's difficult to talk about Jim Jordan because the stupid and the evil are really neck and neck on a Belmont racetrack with him. But uh, here's the deal. Uh, Real America, Jim, real America you speak of actually chose the Democratic candidate for president in seven of the last eight elections. And wealthy elites... Wealthy elites don't have any student loan debt. Who thinks that student loan debt forgiveness is going to benefit wealthy elites? You godless knob. The wealthy elites don't have the debt. So today, Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and South Carolina piled on. They all filed suit to try to stop the White House's student loan debt forgiveness plan. This was all filed in Missouri federal court. It identifies Missouri's loan servicer as the entity who will suffer harm from the policy, along with all the states that will stand to have their revenue disrupted. Never mind. It's going to make people go out and spend more money because they have it in their pockets. That's why it's smart. That's why it's good for capitalism. But they're contending this debt relief violates the Administrative Procedures Act. And the administration can't make the move under the pandemic emergency declaration, like they said, because Joe Biden went on 60 Minutes and said the pandemic was over. That's really the argument. They're going to court for this. Um, the Biden administration is beginning their loan forgiveness process today, which is why so many right wing entities are freaking out. Uh, eligible Americans began getting email today with previews of the program. It's going to open up to applications next month. It's really good. It's good for the economy. It's patriotic. But uh, the education department now says they will exclude some people whose debt is privately held from getting relief. Now, now here's the thing. I, I, the best thing I've read about this was by uh, Dennis McDonald, who posted this. Th- th- this explains why this is so important, because these people are not paying back their loans. They're paying the interest. And we are not giving them something for free. They're still paying for their education. We're just not making them pay the interest. I, I, I say this quote a couple of weeks ago. Imagine I loaned you $100 
and said I would charge $1 per day in interest till the balance was repaid. After 300 days, you haven't paid me anything, so you now owe me $400. Now, imagine I say, since I'm such a nice guy, I will forgive $100 of your debt, so you only owe me $300, and the interest continues. Do you get that this wouldn't actually cost me any money? I'm not actually spending another $100. I'm just erasing money that never actually existed. That's how this student loan forgiveness works. It's not costing anyone any money. Your taxes are not paying for this because no one is actually spending any money. The amount of debt being forgiven is less than the amount of debt that was created by capitalized interest on the original loans. Boom. Now, maybe uh, that math is too hard for you to explain to some loved ones. So that's when I recommend a little book uh, that is popularly called The Bible. Because as long as the right wing is coming up again and trying to beat up student loan debt forgiveness, this is a great time to remind everyone that the right wing is not Christian any more than fascist Italy's right wing was Christian, any more than fascist Germany's right wing was Christian. In Leviticus chapter 25, and they love Leviticus, the homophobes do, that's where God tells Moses and all the people of Israel to have a year of jubilee. Every 50 years, they blow a trumpet, and there's a huge shift in society. Everything hits a reset button. Land gets returned to their original owners. Slaves get set free. Any outstanding debts were eliminated. Leviticus 25. As is often the case in the Bible, uh, slaves can mean indentured servants who are working to pay off a debt. Um, In Deuteronomy 15, God shortens it to seven years. Every seven years, God says, creditors should remit the claim that is held against the neighbor because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. Now, folks, I, I, I didn't write this. These are not my rules. These are the rules of the God these folks claim to follow. These are the rules of the God these folks wave around their head like a shiny little prop to show that no matter how shitty they treat poor people, immigrants, trans kids, (laughs) they're still better than you. What about Christianity, though? Johnny, you're saying the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. What what did Jesus say? Jesus never said anything. Actually, yeah, he did. You might recall uh, a little prayer called the Our Father, where originally the language is forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Matthew 6, 12, Luke 11, 4. It's pretty clear all throughout the scripture when it comes to abolishing debt and freeing the debtor, it's black and white. God demands we create a society that lifts everybody up, that we reject a society that economically shackles our people. The whole point of Christian life is that this character of Jesus paid for all of our sins by sacrificing his life. You don't have to believe that, okay? You don't have to believe any of the Bible is literal fact to be able to say, oh, gee, these people are making these claims. Whether the Bible's real or not, uh, student loan debt forgiveness is in line with both the Old and New Testament. So let's just go by the book. We've got the same people against student loan forgiveness say that they believe in a religion based on Jesus who forgives a debt that they could never repay. As Noam Chomsky said, students who acquire large debts putting themselves through school are unlikely to think about changing society. When you trap people in a system of debt, they can't afford the time to think. Tuition fee increases are a disciplinary technique, and by the time students graduate, they are not only loaded with debt, they've also internalized the disciplinary culture. This makes them efficient components of the consumer economy. 
you know, it's just the belief that working class people, people who have paid off their debt or people who are still in debt should oppose the forgiveness of debts. That's what Fox News is pushing. That's what Tucker Carlson's pushing, despite the fact that most Americans support it. Hey, I suffered. That means you should suffer, too. We already know debt is overtly racialized. It preys on poor people. It's a tool of social control and punishment. It keeps poor people in debt. Credit card debt for rent, for medical care, for other basic needs. You know what? Cancel that too. Cancel it all. For one year, let's have a Christian society. I mean, wages have fallen behind the pace of productivity. So many Americans have to borrow, borrow, borrow to make ends meet. What if we really told the Christians, hey, guess what? Time to put your money where your mouth is. We are going to have a Christian society. We're going to have a jubilee year, just like the Bible commands. And then they'll go look that up. And then they'll realize, oh, shit, we should have spent more time reading the Bible instead of waving it around as a prop because we want to put women in jail. So much of these things we have in this culture are traps. And the job of progressives is to let our conservative loved ones know we're the ones fighting for you. Private insurance companies controlling access to health care. That's a trap. A low-wage workforce that doesn't have benefits, that's a trap. Having a capitalist society, but we don't have manufacturing, we outsource that so the bosses can pay a lower wage to overseas workers, that's a trap. A safety net for Americans who've fallen on hard times, that's not a trap. The student loan debt system is a trap. And all we just did was throw a lifeline in to help millions of Americans try to climb their way up the economic ladder without a 400-pound weight tied around their necks. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. After Special Master Deary demanded that Trump say under oath the DOJ planted evidence or shut up, Trump's lawyers now say uh, they're not going to submit a sworn declaration about the property list accuracy, ending the issue. Wow. Pretty exciting, huh? Except uh, Trump Judge Cannon is trying to really, really, really make it easier for Trump. She just ruled he does not have to comply with any deadlines stipulated by the DOJ or the special master she ordered they appoint. And Trump doesn't have to submit a declaration at all about whether the FBI planted evidence, even though he claimed it. He doesn't have to prove it. Wow. I've seldom seen a Federalist Society hack work so hard for a promotion. 
for that and more, let's go to the smartest man in the room, Professor Corey Brettschneider, the professor with a Ph.D. in politics from Princeton, a law degree from Stanford, and he uses him to fight crime in the poli-sci department at Brown University. Get his book, The Oath in the Office, a guide to the Constitution for future presidents. There is so much to cover. Professor Corey, welcome back. Thanks, John. Looking forward to the conversation as always. And uh, yeah, sorry to begin with a hack judge uh, acting, acting I know. like a hack. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't I wasn't even going to go there because I know that you're, you you want to talk tonight about some good news and potentially some bad news about our elections. But this this just happened. I mean, like, yeah, I, is this woman married to Clarence Thomas, too? I don't understand. <laughs> I, it's just <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talked I last mean, time about I the, mean, the embarrassment factor. And, uh, you know, I was hoping that that at some point she would just realize, like, OK, if you just disregard the the law <laughs> this is going to have consequences for you and your reputation but i mean the idea i was just so shocked when i saw it too you know i guess when when you did that uh you know she appoints a special master this is her route and then he says <laughs> some, you know he, he issues a uh you know an order and then she just disregards that so i mean this is just exactly when i say hack it's like somebody won't even abide by her own rulings it's not just manipulating the law to serve her purposes it's it's really acting in a lawless way trump has this lie that the fbi planted evidence judge deary who she appoints says put up or shut up and then she turns around and says judge deary how about you just shut up i mean like like that judge (laughs) judge the special master wasn't going to play these games it was so refreshing and now this judge who trump hired i I mean i I, I don't understand why would you have a special master appointed if you plan to overrule the special master and run this whole thing yourself? I guess she was hoping she'd have a lackey and this, you know, appellate level judge that she picked as somebody higher up on the bench. And uh, she got quite the opposite. She got a person of integrity. And now she's trying to undo that because she's not a person of integrity. And I wish there was more to it. Oftentimes in our conversations, they try to say, well, the conservative argument is this or that. Here, it just looks like, a, you know, a total partisan, exactly the kind of judge that Trump wanted to install to do his bidding long term, even after he's president. And he got it. Corey, we've got uh, another distinguished jurist on our show tomorrow, uh, Michael Cohen, who I don't know if you know, former <laughs> wow. VP of the Trump Organization. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> wow. Well, he, he's a great talker. I'd love to actually yeah. one of these days I want to get you and him in a room together to tell yeah, you the truth. I'd love that. Because uh, he's, he's an entertaining gentleman. Park. I didn't talk to him, but I did see him on the on the bike path in Central Park and thought, you know, I would like to talk to this guy at some point. I thought you were like I thought he was one of your students and you passed him. That's what I. <laughs> well, he, you know, <laughs> no, he's, I would not pass him. Look, Definitely not pass he's him. He's got a fun. <laughs> He's got a fun podcast, and uh, I've done it. You should be a guest on it. But um, you know, let me okay. ask you the same thing I asked him. All this special master talk, all of this double talk and jive that, that we're seeing Judge Cannon perpetrate, this won't change the outcome of anything, will it? It'll only no. delay no, because we have the a court outcome system. of anything. Yeah, thankfully, we have a court system in which you know her rulings are subject to appeal. And I don't see the Department of Justice... Uh, going along with it when she wants to appoint a special master and disregard his rulings to basically stymie an investigation that there's no legal reason to stymie and to rely on, as we talked about when we first talked about it, a theory of the immunity of a former president that she's really pulling out of thin air. In fact, she's pulling it out of cases that say quite the opposite. 
And, uh, you know, an appellate court will just continue to overturn her. And I guess she'll continue to cause trouble. Um, But, you know, that's how things work. If you mess up, we have higher level courts that that can reverse your decision. And I don't see, you know, on on these issues, the Supreme Court coming to Cannon's rescue. I think she she's just too far out there. Well, I mean, you know, like like young Brett Kavanaugh going to help stop the recount in Florida 2000, I guess they think she'll be rewarded a couple decades down the road. I, I yeah. want to talk to you about something a bit more positive, um, which is the Democrats are, are they've been getting a lot done. They've been achieving quite a bit. I keep saying they're they're doing shit like like a bunch of lesbian Scientologists. They get a lot done in the day, get a lot. That they're very productive. And Schumer's talking about some of the stuff that they're punting down the road just a little bit, you know, codifying uh, uh, marriage equality, for example, um, things that they want to get to later. And one of the things like that they want to get to later on January 6th would be taking up a bill to reform the Electoral Count Act of 1887 to make it harder to decertify presidential electors, uh, to clarify the VP's role in certifying the process as just ceremonial that the VP can't throw it all out if he feels like it. Um, and generally just reduce opportunities to send Congress bullshit electoral slates. They want to do it on January 6th for a, I guess, special feeling. Uh, mm-hmm. Senate uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said he's going to support it. What do you think? Well, I think this is one of those issues where, you know, if you have you don't even have to be a person of integrity. If you're not a outright insurrectionist, I don't see how you can oppose this bill, because what it does basically is it? It's aimed directly at the strategy um, uh, that Trump and his minions tried to use to institute their electoral coup on uh, January 6th. And uh, the first move that you mentioned, um, the role of the vice president, what John Eastman, Trump's advisor, constitutional whisperer, said was, well, the vice president is given power under the 11th Amendment to basically overturn fraudulent electors unilaterally basically on that theory the vice president has the ability to decide the next president that's a crazy idea but it's one that you know has traction in these circles so the first thing the bill does is exactly what you said is it cuts the heart out of that that argument i mean the eastman types will still say well the constitution is more important than this statute and so that's still the rule but I, i don't see any court going along with that especially now I mean, that's really good news for Vice President Harris and 82-year-old uh, incumbent Joe Biden running for re-election in two years, uh, no sure. doubt. But, you know, it's interesting. It seems like the lines are drawn because Mitch McConnell really is behind this. He said, Congress's process for counting the presidential electors' votes was written 135 years ago. The chaos that came to a head on January 6th of last year certainly underscored the need for an update I was like, wait, Mitch McConnell. Sa- so then he has to throw in some bullshit and lie. And he said, so did January's 2001, 2005 and 2017, in each of which Democrats tried to challenge the lawful election of a Republican president. I, I don't remember that, Corey. I don't know which Democrats he's talking about. I seem to remember a, a particular lack of uh, Democrats defecating in the rotunda of the Capitol to stop <laughs> electors from being seated. But I, I, the very fact is Mitch McConnell had to throw in that anti-Democrat party bullshit. Because what he's doing is conceivably really hellacious for MAGA. I mean, this is going to terrify a lot of Republicans who are afraid to vote for this because they have to go along with the lie because they know if they don't, they will get primaried by a bigger racist insurrectionist. 
Yeah, it is a rebuke to MAGA. The vice president element is one of it. The other thing that they do is they, they change the structure of how you object to the certification of votes so that you need way more than one one senator and one congressperson per state, which was what they took advantage of on this past January 6th. They also get rid of the kind of confusion that comes from who sends the slate of electors and this attempt to send multiple slates of electors. So really it is, a, you know, cuts the heart out of at least the, the last year's MAGA strategy for trying to overturn the election. And I think implicitly, and this is partly in what you said, it's a rebuke. And it says very clearly, you know, by passing this bill, that this theory that they tried to rely on on January 6th and this claim of insurrect, you know, the claim of the insurrectionists to be able to overturn the election is is bullshit. And, you know, if they didn't do it, think of the world in which Mitch McConnell did not do what he's doing. Then, then I would say, you know, in what sense do we have a democracy if we can't even defend the most basic elements of our electoral system from from this insurrectionist wing of the Republican Party. It also, to some degree, saves the Republican Party at least some element of it and shows it not to be entirely, yes. anyway, uh, uh, opposition to democracy. Exactly. Oh, baby, do, do, listen, what, what happened in 2021 stays in 2021, essentially, they're trying to say. I know in the Senate's bill, it says that every state's governor would now be responsible to submit the certificate to identify the electors, right. which means y- you can't have multiple state officials or these legislature crackpots or these secretaries of state who hate democracy right. we've seen elected in the last two years rig the thing with multiple slates of electors. But a part of me is like, isn't that stuff already illegal? I mean, yeah. like the whole point well, was that Mike Pence didn't disregard the electoral result because right. it's not legal. They're once again, right. the party that doesn't like us passing lo- laws that are already on the books seems to be doing it just to save face. Yeah. Yeah. It's a rebuke to last year's strategy. I keep saying both in the sense that it rips apart the idea that the vice president can overturn the election. That's obviously not going to happen next time. It rips into the strategy of trying to take over these offices of state secretaries of state to try to put cronies in there that will, you know, put Trump in office. That's a good move. My worry, though, is, you know, they'll come up with some new strategy. This was the strategy of last year. It was the strategy that Eastman used. Uh, But it's not like there's some deep principle here. The principle is that they want Trump to win. And so, you know, I worry that they'll be able to use, you know, uh, some state offices, some state governor's offices, possibly to take advantage of this in a way that we haven't yet yet thought of. You mentioned Bush versus Gore. Mm-hmm. You know, that was in many ways, to me, a uh, uh, Supreme Court, basically mini coup of democracy. They intervened when they really yeah. shouldn't, um, uh, based on a theory that we're going to talk soon about, uh, a, a really, you know, kind of convoluted and, and to my mind, false theory uh, but it was a different set of issues, and uh, I worry that next time they'll come up with some other way of tweaking the game right. in order to take advantage. Really, the problem is the Electoral College as a whole. I mean, to me, just get rid of it. Start again. This is a yeah, deeply flawed part of our Constitution. Well, let's talk about the scary part of this, because the Supreme Court angle uh, in the great state of North Carolina, which I love very much, wonderful state, uh, Republicans who, <laughs> who run it, they they had their GOP gerrymandered leg- uh, map that, that the legislature had uh, that um, gave Republicans an unfair advantage through partisan gerrymandering. That's why you do yep. it. And so uh, the North Carolina state's courts struck it down and a court drawn map was put in place. 
for this year's midterms, so they couldn't cheat. Uh, they are angry, and so now they are appealing to the Supreme Court saying, why the hell can't we cheat? Because we are petulant bitches. And they, they're <laughs> arguing that the Constitution's, let me, let me, if I have this right, the Constitution's elections clause gives state legislatures the power to determine right. how congressional elections are conducted without any checks and balances from state constitutions or state courts. In other words, we can do whatever the fuck we want, whether it's ethical or not. Right. This takes, and just to elaborate, and that is correct, what it does is it basically takes an element of Bush, Bush versus Gore, which did talk, at least in the concurrence, by Justice Scalia um, uh, and um, Justice Thomas. There, there was this language about how state legislatures really control uh, electoral votes and federal votes generally the theory of this idea that of state sovereign legislatures being able to control federal elections altogether is that really the state legislature is the home of power when it comes to um, federal elections and the state legislature could do anything it wants so if it drew a map in a certain way it could draw it draw it with the craziest squiggly lines you've ever seen state courts can't come and overturn it because it's the legislature's now, here's I'll just say what's wrong with this. What's wrong with it is it's you have state constitutions, state constitutions that say, you know, basically you can't cheat. You can't draw the maps however you want. There's a right to basically one person, one vote. And what the courts were doing was using the state constitution to to enforce basic rules of equality and democracy. But where do those state constitutions come from? They come from state legislatures. They come from the exactly. state sovereign entity that passed these constitutional rules. So the idea that, this, that, 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 again, it is an attack on the rule of law. The way that law works is that it's, it binds you. Law says to, to you and me, even if we participated in passing the law, you can't murder, you can't do thievery. Well, you also can't do partisan gerrymandering. That's what the state of North exactly. Carolina Constitution says, basically. But essentially, the, and so then but they're, they they're trying to, to say that they can... It. Well, they want to be able Sorry. to disregard their entire state constitutions. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, essentially, this is a whole law saying we should get right. to ignore all the rules if we feel like it, which yeah. is not that different, Corey, than the laws we've seen passed already since 2020 in Florida right. and Georgia. That if a state legislature feels that there may have been some election right. malfeasance, they don't have to wait for any investigation. They can just throw out the votes of an entire county, meaning throw out the votes of you know who. Right, exactly. And, and that's why, you know, I say it's an attack on the rule of law for exactly that reason. It basically says it doesn't matter what laws are on the books, what constitution a state has, what, what, what bills it's passed and had signed by the governor. It can do whatever it wants. Well, that's not that's tyranny. That's not democracy. That's not the rule of law. That's the king saying I'm not bound by the, the, the law. And a legislature can't do that. A legislature passes laws and has to comply with it unless they overturn the law directly and say, okay, we're going to repeal the Constitution or something like that, or repeal the guarantee of one person, one vote. But that's not what they did. They tried to, you know, have their cake and eat it too. And the the state court came and said, Mm -hmm. no, you have a Constitution, you have to abide by it. That's what the rule of law is. But this is a disturbing theme, you know, of our whole conversation today, which is that MAGA Republicans don't respect democracy. They respect one thing, and that's, unfortunately, Donald Trump. Well, it's power. I mean, that's that's really what it is. They they mm. respect power. Like uh, you know, I just went to public school, but my understanding was that legislatures and states get their power 
from the state constitutions. And here's a legislature that says, oh, we should have the power to overpower our state's constitutions and do essentially whatever the heck we feel like. That's yeah. what they're fighting for. And it seems like Gorsuch and Alito and Clarence Thomas are licking their chops to make this law. Yeah, well, the, you know, the, it, it really scares me because I don't think that this theory, as wacky as it is, has five votes on the Supreme Court, but it's definitely got a couple. It has Clarence Thomas. Um, I think it likely yeah. does have Gorsuch, who played a role in Bush versus Gore, which is the sort of birthplace of this theory, um, and Alito. So that's three. <laughs> I mean, now we have to, you know, hope oh. that they won't get to five. But you know, if you if you have five votes for this theory, then you know that's up there with taking the side of Judge Cannon or you know Trump's side and claiming immunities after he's president that he certainly doesn't have. It's really rigging the game in, in favor of one person. I don't see them doing that, but but uh, what a frightening thought that they might. Professor, it is such a pleasure to have you. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Brett Schneider C and uh, listen to these great conversations every week. And, uh, Thank tell me you everything. so much. And you can always avoid Corey on the David Feldman show where he does Tuesdays with Corey because fuck <laughs> David Feldman. Come on. Thank you so much, Professor. It's a pleasure. We'll be right back. This is Progress. I'm John saying This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm so excited for this conversation. I've been looking forward to it. You know, we all, we all no matter what, do harm to others, right? Even if you try very hard not to, you're going to hurt people and you're going to be hurt in small ways and in large ways. That's life. And so we, we go through life conditioning ourselves with some very wise lessons about forgive and forget, right? Be the bigger guy. Uh, you, you turn the other cheek, as my, my, my favorite Jewish faith healer once said. Uh, you know, we know that holding a grudge can give you cancer and we know that forgiveness is good for the soul. We know it's good for your health. But this whole notion of forgiveness, above all, no matter what, sometimes really does allow the perpetrators off the hook without any kind of accountability. And also we don't always discuss what forgiveness looks like, what making amends looks like. And can you forgive someone who has not sought forgiveness? So I was so excited to hear that we're actually going to get uh, Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg on the show. She's an award-winning author and writer. She's scholar in residence at the National Council of Jewish Women. You may have read her stuff in the New York Times, uh, The Atlantic, Time, Newsweek. She's written seven books, including Nurture the Wow, Finding Spirituality in the Frustration, Boredom, Tears, Poop, Desperation, Wonder, and Radical Amazement of Parenting. And her new book is just something that is turning my brain on, On Repentance and Repair, Making Amends in an Unapologetic World. Rabbi, it's a great pleasure. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much for being had. Uh, so I, I mentioned to you, I grew up in a in a very, very uh, deeply Catholic family with an ex-nun and an ex-Franciscan brother raising me. Um, I, I dreamed of being Jewish as a kid on Long Island. I, I tried to convert. Uh, my rabbi said I was too neurotic. Um, but, you know, growing up, I sort of like realized there was this model that if you feel bad about something you did, that's guilt. And that can be good. But if you feel bad about who you are as a person, that's shame. And if you feel shame because you think God wants you to feel more guilt, that's Catholic. But that's my problem, <laughs> not yours. Um, this book is really for anyone who really cares about a society that is more decent, that is 
focusing on trying to make it right when we've made mistakes, not just on the personal level, you cover everything from systemic racism to to sexual abuse and, and me too. The most obvious question for you is, what was it, Rabbi, that inspired you right now at this point in your life during a time when seeking forgiveness is seen as weakness by so many people on both sides of the political aisle to commit yourself to a book like this? Well, it was me too, actually. Um we were having this huge national reckoning and people started to ask me about the path back for, you know, there were all of these dudes, these sort of famous guys who'd been named as sexual abusers and, you know, they or their publicists or whoever wrote these contrite letters. Um, most of them were terrible yeah. and um, and narcissistic yeah. and whiny. And um, and the question started to come up like, OK, now what? Right. Like, what do we do? This isn't just run of the mill. These are like really famous dudes. And their next steps impact like rape culture they impact how we think about like do we like do they get a show again do they, like they go away they come back what what, what? and so uh, somebody i know asked me you know for a quote for something they were working on and i sort of wrote up some stuff and then wound up throwing it on twitter using sort of jewish thinking on repentance and repair and and you know accountability and centering victims and taking care of people and what you would look for if somebody was really sincere and people on Twitter just kind of went bananas because they were like, like you don't just have a crowd of people say, okay, it's been 10 minutes. I guess we just forgive them. It's like, no, no, there is a bar and there's stuff to look for. And like, it was like, I found the thread (laughs) and I just realized that there was, we have no language in American culture for like when harm happens, what you do, like what happens next? How do we take care of the person who was hurt? What are the expectations? Like, and it's like, well, we have a system over here. You guys, do you, do you want to talk about this? Um, I mean, we, 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 we live in a culture of quick fixes. We live in a culture mm-hmm. where a model we get is, well, how can I make it right? Which for many just means what amount of money do I have to spend to, to make things okay? Right. It, it does seem like, you know, humans in general have a problem with this issue, but it does seem that there's a, there's, there's a certain things about our particular American culture that, that just indicate we don't know how to do this. We don't know how to seek forgiveness and we don't really know how to give it in many cases either. Right. I mean, listen, you know, we're very individualistic. So, and, you know, we're very capitalistic. So it's the quick fixes and there's the like, you know, kind of like trained for the, you know, kind of whoever can step their feet above the top of whoever is on top of, you know, like we're not a communal culture. We don't know how to take care of each other. And so when harm happens, yes, like the person who was hurt is left alone, nursing their wounds. Nobody's running after the harm doer being like, hey, that is not like you. That is not the best version of you that I've ever seen. Everybody's just like, right. you know, if the harm doer has enough money, we let them get away with it. And how that's power it. flows, like usually that's what happens. And nobody's taking care of the person who was hurt. 
and there isn't that sense of everybody's going right. to surround them and uh, you know take care of this as a community. So, but we have a system. There's a system. Well, this is why I think my my nun mom and Franciscan father would would recoil at this because I was raised with an ethic of that you know you have to forgive all the time and this is the <laughs> lesson of the the Jewish Nazarene you have to forgive seventy times seven uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What I love about the book is you point out the flaw, the moral flaw in automatically granting forgiveness when there is no attempts at amends and when there's no attempts at taking responsibility. You know, it's one thing to say, I'm sorry for something. It's another thing to take responsibility for the thing you're saying you're sorry for. And the best example you illustrate beautifully is post-Civil War. We saw folks up north preaching forgiveness and unity with the South, which is important, but they weren't preaching accountability for slavery. And as you put it, this reinscribed white supremacy at a time when it was at risk. Right. This was a moment when we, this was like the world had changed irrevocably. And this was an opportunity for the North <laughs> to say, accountability, you guys, what are you going to do to deal with the fact that you were <laughs> committing atrocities and have to be accountable there and if, if you want to come be part of this larger conversation we'll let you in but then you have to show up and and really be here um but that would put the white northerners superior status at risk so instead they were even the abolitionists were you know, against slavery, but that didn't mean that they were willing to go so far as to drop having higher social status than right. black Americans. And so they basically <laughs> banded together with the South and said, forgive, forgive <laughs> unity at all costs. And you have Frederick Douglass over here saying repentance, you guys ask them for accountability, this isn't, you know, we're not going to say if there's somebody's truly repentant, we're not going to kick them out. But come on, this is ridiculous. Right. And what was so fascinating to me was that you saw the exact same kind of rhetoric playing out in the aftermath of the January 6th insurrection. Right. Boom. You guess my next question. Yes. Unity. You guys, we could all get along. Why are you being so divisive? By asking for accountability for trying to destroy our democracy and, you know, reinscribing white supremacy. Um, right? right. And it's always it's the same thing. It's it's when well, and it's not a, we yeah. it's the thing when we force people to go into forgiveness mode without accountability, it almost always is a way to reinscribe whatever power situation is happening at that moment. Right. That's right. Because because to some degree, it's just words. I mean, to some degree, it, you know, if there's not accountability, but it's just I'm sorry, it's OK, you're forgiven. Let's move on. Well, then you're right. Nothing has actually changed. Nothing's been acknowledged. And it's inevitable that the same behaviors, the same mistakes, the same cruelties will be repeated again and again. Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, I was very keen to get your take on on reparations, because obviously we're talking about forgiveness and, and seeking forgiveness on a grand scale. Um, right. 
And it's something that I've argued for, for, for many years and I believe in very strongly. And I think a lot of folks might be kind of um, surprised by where you come down because you, you talk about how from a Jewish perspective, it's really only the victims of harm who can forgive, not some third party or later generation. And that forgiveness can't be demanded or in any way pressured or expected. Well, okay. So there, there are several different things. I want to make clear that rep- so uh, repentance, Please. the work of taking responsibility for the harm you have caused and doing all of the work in your power to kind of sew up that hole in the universe that you created or that your ancestors created um, or that, you know, sort of like if we're talking about reparations, I'm, uh, you know, I'm Jewish and I'm white and I receive white privilege in this country. Right. I'm I am responsible for uh, white supremacy, even though, you know, my ancestors were running from pogroms, blah, 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 blah you know, in the like we came over in the late 19th yes. century. Blah, like, doesn't matter. I'm I'm. I benefit from white supremacy in a million ways. Does like so um the my ancestors didn't own slaves argument doesn't count here. Um but right. like, you know, you're responsible to do the work of repentance to the full extent of your power. Whether or not you are like it doesn't you're being forgiven is irrelevant. You can do the full That's extent, right. you can go the full way and it doesn't matter if you're forgiven. You can never be forgiven and still be doing the work of repentance. It doesn't like, I don't like whether or not I'm forgiven doesn't matter in so many ways. And the person who was harmed, whether or not you're forgiven doesn't matter. Yes. Go on. Right. I agree. Right, completely. The person who was harmed has, you know, the person who is, who did the harming has the obligation to do everything they can to make it Right by the harmed parties, right? But the the harmed parties are going through their own process of healing and dealing with the harm caused and processing it and and dealing with the person, the harm doer who is hopefully coming sincere and, you know, uh, wholeheartedly. I mean, if there's, if they're not wholehearted and they're not coming sincerely, there's no, there's no obligation to forgive. You can, if you want. Sure. But you don't but, have, but a lot like, of people you know, are, are, are this, a, lot of, a lot are just yeah. I mean, sometimes people are just seeking absolution, right? Sometimes people don't want to do the work to make it better. They're just saying, "I'm sorry," so you will give them a clean slate. They don't have to feel yeah, guilty anymore. No, bug off, bug off. Like we don't, we don't, we're not going to let you off the hook. And like, right? See, so we'll we'll continue taking your donations, and you can sexually harass another one of our employees. Lovely. Like, no. Right? Like we're um, <laughs> we're not. Like no. Um, but, right, like we're not, but like the person who was harmed can can make the choice or parties like they can do have, have whatever process they're having around forgiveness. And there's a whole song and dance about when and whether and what and but uh, forgiveness side. But the, the, the harm doer has to do the work any regardless. So whether or not, yeah. uh, you know, like. 500 years of enslavement and systemic racism can never be forgiven, right? (laughs) Like that's not, that's not forgivable ever. Um, And who get who gets to forgive, who gets to forgive it? Who has the right to forgive? The dead cannot forgive. The lynched cannot forgive, right? The the thrown into the sea cannot forgive. Like, what is this? Um, 
But we as a society are obligated to do everything we can to face and address these horrific sins. And I I would say, I want to say this really clearly, people talk about reparations often in the common parlance as like, here is like a one-time payment or some ongoing payments or something. Here's some money we're going to throw at Black Americans today, and then it's going to be fine. And according to this system, that is not it, right? Because that is like the work has to be transforming so that the harm is never going to happen again and so that involves deep deep changing like i want to know like if if by the end of whatever process we have not done real work at least towards dismantling white supremacy like like that's the goal right and it's yeah, not yeah. a it's not going to happen overnight but um if if our all of our systems and structures are still basically maintaining white supremacy in every way and we're throwing some money at people and saying great you know we're going to continue as we have been for the next 500 years like it's not good enough i mean it's fascinating that you're right the dead victims can't forgive the dead sinners can't atone, but society can strive to bring about something like generational justice. I mean, in in AA, as I'm sure you know, um, step nine is atoning. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because your book really forces you to distinguish between what forgiveness is, what atonement is, and what repentance is. Mm-hmm. These words do get jumbled together. And I, I, I think you've done a really great job of <laughs> reminding us how important it is to distinguish them. Yeah. In Judaism, anyway. So repentance. So, uh, also, it might be helpful to, to do the, the Hebrew bit. So for us, the word Please. that we're using is repentance. <laughs> it, like... Because I think a lot for for people who grew up in Christian culture, like repentance has this heavy, like repent, like bad monkey, you know, kind of connotation. Um, And maybe it has also really beautiful, you know, kind of transformative. I I don't know. Um, But um, for us, the word is chuva, which literally means return. So it's about coming back to where you were supposed to be, like coming back to your integrity coming back to your yes. best self, coming back to your relationship with God, you know, if that's language that re- resonates with yeah. whoever, but um, it's about returning. It's about getting back on, on the track. And, um, and so that's about like, Juva, this repentance work is about um, accountability, taking responsibility for the harm you caused, doing the work to transform and change so that you're don't do that harm anymore. Like, Right. You know, if you if you have to like do some anti-racism learning, do that. If you need to go into therapy to understand why you keep yelling at people, do that. Like, like what do you need to do to change? Right. It's about amends and care and, and taking care of the person who was harmed and making sure their needs are met. And it's about never making the same choice again. It's about making new choices next right. time. Uh, so that's repentance work. Uh, atonement for us is something that only God can do. It's a theological concept. Um, and it's like, it's a very singular specific thing. Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, like Kapara is atonement. Like it's a, 
very funky specific thing um you know less less secular and and universal can i say right well i mean that that's that's the big trick because again you know can you forgive if someone hasn't sought forgiveness i mean we know the 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 mental and emotional and physical well-being benefits of forgiveness it is good for the soul but i mean you know for example you write i'm going to quote you we are held accountable for the harm that was done before our time for all the injurious deeds we have held on to for all that we have not actively worked to undo i agree but I'm sure you get a lot of resistance from people who say exactly what you said. Well, my my great, great, great never owned slaves and I, I'm a white person and I can't get a cab and life is hard for me, too. So what do I have to atone for? <laughs> I mean, if someone doesn't see it, if someone doesn't right. see it or if someone doesn't feel it, where does forgiveness fit in when it's not been sought? Well, so again, I you know, I, I want to really super duper take forgiveness out of the repentance work equation. Um, right. Cause uh, you know, if someone, so a, you can always choose to forgive if that feels like the right thing for you, if you've been harmed in your healing process, um, you can tell the person who, who harmed you, you cannot tell them you can ever be friends with them or not, you know, like reconciliation going back to relationship is a whole other bag of chips that is not forgiving and forgiving for us, by the way, is not like this warm, fuzzy, like we're, you know, emotional. It's like a closing of the books. Like, okay, we're good. We're done here. You know, like you've done enough work. Get out of my face. Right. <laughs> it's not emotional. Yeah. It's like the books are done. We're closed. Um, like we've just closed the case. Right. Like we're done. Yeah. And and so for people who aren't, aren't willing to face their harm, like, yeah, sometimes it takes some time. It's Okay. <laughs> well, let, let me ask you about something let me ask you about something a bit more mild than slavery and a bit more recent i i heard somewhere you talking about what happened last month with our friend lizzo who had a who had a word on her new album that we said all the time as kids spaz but in the uk people have uh have grown up a bit and have realized okay well that's actually hurtful to some people who are struggling and that's that's ableist and i, I heard somewhere you pointed out that lizzo was kind of a model of how someone can actually seek forgiveness under the microscope in our current cancel culture days where I hate the term cancel culture. There's consequence culture, but the reality is um, people are very willing to flush someone's entire life and all their worth down the toilet because of one sin. What was it Lizzo did that impressed you, Rabbi? She did the work and this is a, you know, fabulous modeling of what it means to take people's harm seriously people said to her it's not just in the uk it's also considered an ableist slur here in these united states it's like yes. it's like okay yes. people my people are telling me this is harmful uh, i have gotten new information i'm gonna do some learning about a place of ignorance that i had and now i'm gonna own publicly that i did the thing and like within 24 hours she re- released a new song like owning that i did a wrong thing Just not the end of the, the world these are lyrics they are not you know sacred writ you know inked by the angels like i mean she's in, as close to a, an angel as we get but um <laughs> you know like you know like it's okay i mean a new song Duh. New version. Enjoy. Like, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. And comparing that to when you see other celebrities, when people say, ouch, right? And people start to, like, 
yes. sit and sputter and defend and start yelling about how they're a really nice person and they feed their dog regularly or whatever, like you can see like who's concerned about other people's feelings and who's concerned about their own reputation and, and what the difference is. Right. Right. Well, then let me let me ask you, because as a model, you put down uh, Maimonides five stages of repentance and confession. And, and I'm curious about that, because I think there's probably folks listening to this saying, well, I, I know how to say I'm sorry, but how does someone know if they've actually truly repented? I mean, what does that look like? What does it feel like? What what are the, the, the stages of repentance that you drew upon? So um, Maimonides, who's um, fabulous, Maimonides, medieval... Yeah philosopher, Jewish, legal scholar, physician, um, grumpy pants, I don't know, dude, um, <laughs> took some ancient Jewish thinking, sort of reworked it in his his order, added some stuff. Um, I think there are five stages. So one, confession, um, own what you did, no hedging, no, like, yes. I'm a good person, but, you know, here's what I meant, like, just name it. I did the thing and that already, like you have to do so much inner work to get to the point where you psych yourself up and like have to face the story that like, maybe you're not like the hero today. And we all do Mm -hmm. thing. We are all human people. We all make mistakes, right? It's okay. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person forever. It just means you screwed up fine. Like you own it, right? Ideally publicly because you're, asking for accountability, you're telling people you're going on a changing journey, and it's the end of the gaslighting for the victim, right? It's suddenly the victim gets validated in their experience, right? Victim-centered. Two, start to change. How are you going to be different? How are you going to stop doing the thing? Do you need therapy? Do you need to call your sponsor? Do you need to, like, start learning about transliberation? Or do you need to, like, what's going to make you start to grow and stop being the person yeah. who is doing the thing, right? Like, do you need to ditch those friends because you always act like a jerk with those friends? I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Um, figure it out. Mm. Start doing the work. <laughs> Two, start to change. Three, yes. amends. Like, what does the person who was harmed need? You can't undo what you did, but like, is it financial to them? Is it financial so to true. the org? Is it time? Is it something else? Like you can't unbreak, but you can make it better, right? You can sew up that hole in the universe yes, somehow. You can make, yeah. And and like, what's it going to yeah. be? And you have it's, it's to ask possible. the person who was hurt or the people who was hurt. You don't get to decide for them, right? Which is part of the reparations conversation, That's right. right? Like I I don't get to tell, decide what I've decided. This are. gift, yeah. <laughs> You can't decide you that like, I mowed your lawn or I bought you this gift. And this, this, <laughs> right. I've decided this cleans my slate for you. Right. Yeah. And you're like, no, that is not what I need. Right. So, rep, so, um, amends, um, like mm-hmm. confessions start to change amends. Then we get to apology all the way down here, because if you are still the person who did the harm and then you try to apologize, you're just checking a box. But if you've done all this deep transformation work, your heart is open and you like finally get it. And you like look at the person and you're like, oh, oh, God, I really did this horrible thing to you. I'm so sorry. Like it means something. And Mm -hmm. and you're, you're it's this regret is flowing genuinely from a place that really understands. Right. 
And that's really a kind of a final step. That's right. Because then step five is organically, next time you have a chance to do the thing, and there's always a next time, you make a different choice because you're a different person. That's right. That's right. It's amazing how much repentance and toddler training have in common. Um, <laughs> it's true. I, I, I got to ask you, what, w- right? It's just, it's just it's changing habits in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and you're not bad. <laughs> but, but yeah. um, we mentioned Lizzo. Can you can you give us an example though of a of a government going after? like trying to actually formally, officially repent for past sins. We talk about doing it with slavery here. I I think Ronald Reagan tried to do it for uh, the internment camps of Japanese in World War II, but what's what's a government you think really handled it well? Um, I don't know of a government that has gotten there 100%. I will say that. Um, It's always going to be messy with that many people involved and that many agendas. Of course. Um, South Africa got the truth piece done really well, but was complicated. And then the people in charge of the next steps kind of dropped the ball, um, which is a pity because it was such a powerful moment. Germany had a many, many decades long process of facing things after the Holocaust of where it was this funny, weird space of like, they did things out of order, basically. They were like, amends, here, have some money. <laughs> we're back in the, well, <laughs> like, that right, means right that we're, you'll let us back into the, like the party, right? And then they like avoided. And then there was like a little bit of facing it 20 years later and then some avoidance. And then there was a little more facing and truth telling and then more truth telling. And then some systemic changes started. And then, you know, and it was kind of like, like back and forth. And Germany is genuinely a very different place from when it was, um, you know, immediately after world war two now, um, there are places like it's, you know, I mean, it's like it's not exactly a, a anti-racist paradise um, at all, but they've done right, some real right. work. They've done some real, real work. And, you know, yeah. it means something. They're not putting up monument. They're not putting up monuments. to. They're not putting up monuments to their Confederate uh, supremacist mass killers like we do in this country. They, they're a yeah. little bit ahead of us in terms of honoring their mass murders of the past. Right. Which was, uh, incidentally, a grassroots movement for a really long time. In the 80s, it was like artists were building the sites of atrocity mm-hmm. memorials. So if anybody listening feels inspired to be the monument making that they want to see in the world, um, you know, a lot of education started as, as grassroots <laughs> education before it <laughs> got up to the higher levels. Rabbi Daniel Ruttenberg is the author of the new book on repentance and repair, making amends in an unapologetic world. Rabbi, I had so much to talk to you about and I didn't barely get to half my questions. You're welcome back anytime. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep track of your work? Because again, you are one of the reasons why I won't quit Twitter. Um, But how how can people follow you? 
Um, DanielRuttenberg.net is the central. I'm on um, all the socials. Uh, OnRepentance.com is book central. I'm around. All right. Right on. Well, please come back and join us anytime. It's really a pleasure. Longtime fan. Uh, first time Gentile suck up. Thank you so very much. <laughs> we got to take a quick break. Thank we you. will be right back. <laughs> Thank you so much. We are at 866-997-4748. We have fascists to slay, jokes to be had, trivia about the date. And of course, our most important guest always tends to be you guys. 866-997-GRIT. We'll be right back. Let's get to the phones. Is this is this Reverend Sandy from L.A.? Reverend, it we're getting is. spoiled you calling us up. I was trying to make you jealous with a rabbi, Rev. Oh, you know what? I'm so fangirling over Rabbi Daria. She is so amazing. And all your listeners, do yourself a favor. If you don't follow her on Twitter, follow her on Twitter and give her saying. loads of love because she gets She's a lot so of the great. other stuff, too. Oh, she gets a ton of hate. But look, I mean, I, I had no idea how funny she was. You know, she's just I, I, I just read her all the time and I'm in awe. But my God, she's funny. And her book is just something I'm sure you're very in touch with. You know, we, we all know I'm how to say I'm to sorry. I'm going to have to get the book. In Christianity, by the way, a little bit of nerds, nerdism here. It, the word is metanoia, and it means to change your mind. And the idea is that you change your mind so completely that you behave differently. So it's wow. not just, uh, you know, it's not just a quick, I'm sorry, or I'm sorry if no, I No, it's a reprogramming. Which is what we hear from. Yeah, it's a complete shift. So I'm all down with Rabbi Daria, and I'm going to buy the book, and I hope all your listeners do, too. Yeah, I mean, or you want... can just be like me, and you can, you're, you can just be like me and wait till you hit rock bottom so many times morally you have to change. But what, why, why do that? <laughs> why put yourself through the aggravation? Go ahead, Rev. <laughs> Nobody believes that, John. <laughs> well, we know you're a good guy. Um, eh, I I hate to blow the lid off your uh, <laughs> your persona, but you're a good guy. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. So I wanted to just I wanted to say that I know you lived through Hurricane Sandy and you lost some valuable things through it. And you know just that things. Ron DeSantis in Florida, mm-hmm. he voted against help for people from the tri-state area who were victims of Hurricane Sandy. and Yes, he did. And um, I just think that it's so... I just want to tell everyone, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, don't vote for Republicans because... Or the MAGA Republicans especially, because this is what they do. They say, we don't govern for you if you didn't vote for us. Whereas Biden is saying, I govern for everyone, whether they voted for me or not, and all of Florida is going to get the help they need. And I hope all the way up the, the East Coast it's going to be nasty, and I just am thinking about everyone, and also about everyone in Puerto Rico, and Alaska apparently is having some I huge, know. huge thing. So it's just you know, it's time for us all to just start thinking about each other when we make choices, and um, instead of just thinking, oh, I'm yeah. the individual yeah. that rules the world. So yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about, and I just well. I just think Ron DeSantis, you know. God forgive me. I think he should not be anywhere near any elected office because he's no kind of decent guy. No. No, he's not. He He's graceless. And, you know, he, he's all drunk on this whole Trump 
might makes power. And you know better than me, these these right wing fundamentalists who wave Jesus around like a prop when it suits their convenience. But ultimately, religion is nothing but a a cloaking device for them. It's it's camouflage. You know, Christianity is a great camouflage for douchebaggery. As it was in Nazi Germany, too, by the way. Um, I talked about the oh, Barman yeah. Declaration when I was ta- called you a couple times ago, where the the real Christians of Germany stood up and against the Christian Church of Germany, which was totally in the pocket of, of Hitler. And um, I think we need to do that to all people of faith or people of no faith that have that are good people. I think we all need to stand up and really, really um, get busy voting, uh, please. And thank you, because that's all we have left. Uh outside of, you know, waiting for the quote-unquote civil war that that our opponents keep threatening us with. So, yeah, I'm just really into... Can I ask you, Reverend Sandy? Can I ask you a question about forgiveness, Reverend Sandy? Because, you know, my my Catholic upbringing was all centered around forgiveness, and you have to forgive everybody. You you can't not forgive anybody. You can't hold a grudge. My mother once said to me, how can you stand in church every week and say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? If you don't forgive everyone. And I said, well, because you make me go to church, but that, that was the wrong thing to say. Um, but, y- you know, I do believe it, but I've always struggled with this on a, on a spiritual ethical level. How do you forgive someone who doesn't seek forgiveness? You can forgive them in your heart. But what I found interesting in the rabbi's book was she, she talks about how, you know, if we promote forgiveness above all else, right. then we don't leave any room for accountability or the possibility right of transformation by just saying, okay, Confederacy, you're all, you're all forgiven. Come on back. Everything's fine. Now there was no chance to grow. And of course the clan was going to take root. Of course the lost cause narrative was going to take root. And the people who did the harm were never forced to confront with the harm they'd caused. They never had to make amends. You know, automatic forgiveness might feel good for the one granting it, but for the actual offender, it doesn't help them become a better person. Not at all. I'm 100% behind Rabbi Daria on this. And I think that, like, I'm a white American. I'm a white woman. And I have a lot of privilege in, in the world that my women of color colleagues do not have. And for that, yeah. they they suffer where I don't. Like, I had a difficult birth-giving process, but I was in a really nice hospital with health insurance and all kinds of things. In fact, Jane Seymour's OBGYN is who assisted in my C-section. So the fact is that black women, women of color, do not get that kind of care in general. And when they complain about pain and so forth, it goes all the way back to slavery. Like, the, the reason why we can't ask for forgiveness from our black brothers and sisters over slavery is because we have not yet dealt with all of the underpinnings of privilege that slavery still affords us today, including generational wealth, including um, what we think of black people, um, including the kind of cultural mythologies that get into our brains and make us react quickly against black people, even if we don't in our hearts feel that way. Our culture has surrounded us with the idea that black black men especially are very dangerous and need to be, um, you know, yeah. killed before they kill us. And why was that? Because honestly, if you were enslaved and you saw a way to get free, 
you would be dangerous to somebody trying to kill you too, like because they're fighting for their lives. But we don't right. think of it that way. We just don't. We don't look right. into the the abyss of our history. And it is so. Yeah, Hitler was very happy with how Andrew Jackson treated the Native Americans. He said, "I'm going to study that." That's right. And I'm going to do that to the Jews. Now we all yeah, were shocked when exactly. we heard that. And, like when I was and our apartheid system. Time. Yes. Our, our whole system of apartheid, uh, how we yes. treated African-Americans was hugely influential. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, our, our our reservations were the model for concentration camps. Absolutely. So 100 percent. I, I know that <laughs> this is what I know when I'm when I'm all like heated up and talking about something. I know you know more about it than I do usually. <laughs> but um, but I just feel like. <laughs> you're because you're you are one of the smartest guys in the room no matter what you say and um i really no, feel no, like stop. as as white americans as um as a christian personally that reparations aren't enough it has to be systemic change and systemic change is hard to do we're trying to do it in my in my church right now not just my personal congregation but in our regional body and uh, it's extraordinary mm. how much pushback we're getting, even among people who are not racist in their hearts. But the institution pushes yes. back on us as we try to push for equality because it, it. It, it's systemic. Well, we're all change. born into it. Yeah. Yes. Right. I mean, you know, you, you, you don't have to be a bigot to be a racist. I say this all the time. Right. Like you can have Absolutely. plenty of black friends and you laugh at Kevin Hart movies and you have no hate <laughs> in your heart. But you can still be a part of the problem because you are still propping up racist institutions. And that's not to cause shame on anyone or make you be ashamed of being no. white. It's just to say, hey, all woke is about is being aware instead of staying comatose. That's it. Exactly. That's a journey, not a exactly. And if we change our Re mind, we need to change our system. We need a metanoia of our system in order to make yes. things better. So just like Rabbi I Daria was saying. As someone who suffered under uh, Hurricane Sandy, um, I can't I can't forgive Ron DeSantis for voting against uh, uh, the, the the funds because he will right. never seek forgiveness. I can only forgive him in my heart if I'm carrying a grudge and that's going to give me cancer. So you have to you right. have to do it. But on right. a grand scale, I totally get what the rabbi's talking about. Hey, Reverend Sandy, uh, you're you're beautiful and brilliant. How do our uh, our evil army of the night follow you? All these deviants I to wish, keep up with what you're doing I, as a reverend in L.A. Every time you say that, I get more followers, and I love I love my fellow listeners, my fellow Evil Army rabble rousing. There you go, John Fugel saying, mm. "Tell me everything, fans." Um, I'm at Sandy Richards at um, at at Sandy Richards on uh, Twitter. That's Sandy with an I E. And um, yeah, follow me so I can follow you back, Evil Army. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Reverend. 